Thanks, Ben. Thanks, team. I love y'all. Did a great job. Thank you for leading us. You know, it, it'd be it'd be really just a lot easier if it was just you know one person up here playing one instrument, a lot of less parts. But we would miss out on a platform filled demonstrating God's multicolored wisdom and beauty, and just the variety of voices and people and music. So. Thank you all for your hard work so that it comes together really as one. Um, the, uh, we start now our uh, second um, Sunday in our journey looking at different biblical heroes, the, the, the heroes of heaven, those that are, are heroes in the very, very eyes of God. Not, not heroes in the ways of the world, but, but heroes in the ways of of the the kingdom. Last uh, um, uh, Sunday we looked at Moses and today we'll look at at Esther and just call from there some of the different ways that that we see um, that that heroes in the eyes of God are those that that are growing in love and obedience to Him. Sometimes in fear, sometimes reluctant, sometimes doubt, um, but in, in the end, it, you, what we'll see is that they're, they're faithful to, to, to seeking after God, even in the midst of, of chaos and confusion. So uh, today we'll be looking at Esther, which is in the book of Esther. Um, uh, starts on page 386 in your pew Bible, if, if you want to turn there, and then uh, um, uh, let's... Uh, Let's pray then before we start to to read. Almighty God, thank you for your written word. Thank you as it speaks to us of your truth. We ask that your living word, your Holy Spirit, would be within us, um, enabling us to hear from you and to apply and then do what you're calling us to do. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, um, just so you uh, get um, Esther's situation, you know, what's happening in her life right now. She is, she is what we call, she's in the, the uh, Babylonian exile. And uh, what, what's happened is that the people of Babylon, the army of Babylon has come in and they have totally ransacked and destroyed Israel. And they have taken um, uh, uh, most of the people out of Israel, to, and they've taken them to Babylon. And now they've made them servants and workers and second-class citizens. So they are really forced um, uh, immigrants. They're refugees um, that have been forced now to live in Babylon as um, servants and workers for the kingdom of Babylon. And now the, the king that we'll meet in Esther is King Ahasuerus. And then his queen is Queen Vashti. And um, in the first century, or in, in these days of, with the kings, of long before the first century, um, uh, this, uh, um, the king got to do whatever the king wanted to do. What the king said is what the king did and what he received. And um, the queen really was the head of the king's harem. And that's what we'll see as we walk through this story. And the queen, but Queen Vashti, she got tired of that. And so one day the king was having a party and he said, I want the queen to come in and entertain us. And the queen said no. And that was the last that we saw of Queen Vashti. 
And so we're going to pick up the, the story here where then this would be a really wanted position, don't you think, to be queen? Um, given the story of the previous queen. But what's going to happen is now the king and his uh, servants are now going to have a beauty pageant to find the new queen. So we'll pick up chapter 2, um, starting verse 1 of Esther. So after these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint commissioners in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all beautiful young virgins to the harem in the citadel of Susa, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetic treatments be given them, and let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now, there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with King Jehoni of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his cousin. For she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in the custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. The girl pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetic treatments and her portion of food and with seven chosen maids from the king's palace and advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. Every day, Mordecai would walk around in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So, Esther is Jewish. Her cousin Mordecai is also her guardian. And now, and she's able to keep all of that quiet as she is now a contestant in this beauty pageant to be the head of the king's harem. Now, I just want you to think about just how messed up that is. I mean, it's not quite trying out to be a playboy bunny, but it's close. I mean, she, she's not a position of, of queen with crowns, um, with, with power. She's the one who's there to be the leader of the harem who serves at the king's pleasure. This is not a contest you want to win. Matter of fact, this is, this is a contest that you might even say, maybe she should have said, no, I'm not going to participate, and then be, been beheaded, and that would have been better. But I think it communicates to us 
some of what biblical heroes have to deal with. And that is the chaos and the mess and the evil of our world and the charge to be a part of it, to be in it. Even uh, at the the face of compromise. We, We are called to be in the mess of our world and and to to somehow as a follower of God be in the middle of it participating in it but being God's in this dirty messy compromising situation I mean Babylon was was not a nice place I mean, it was hedonistic it was immoral it was evil murderous and yet Jeremiah one of God's prophets during that time, told the people of Israel when they were in exile, you go and work for, live for, pursue the peace and prosperity of Babylon. That's where you are. And of course, the greatest example is Jesus, who became one of us, who entered into the mess and the evil and the brokenness of our world in order to bring salvation. So now Esther finds yourself in this kind of difficult, challenging, compromising situation. And she says yes. And she enters in and participates, trusting God to bring about salvation and justice and and righteousness through this. God's heroes get dirty. God's heroes you know, face the compromises of this world. We do not just keep it safe and secure. I think this is where the separatists, those who want to separate the church, just be its own little world, its own little enclave, I think that's where we get it wrong. That we're on mission in a, a messed up, broken world, as messed up, broken people ourselves, but serving Serving a Lord and Savior who is filled with mercy and righteousness and justice and steadfast love. On our our recent trip to to Germany um, and to Switzerland, really engaging with uh, um, the the different people of the Reformation, we had a privilege of visiting the house of a German pastor and theologian who was more more, uh, current. Um, His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we got to go to the, to the house where he studied, where he grew up, and we met with a Lutheran pastor who had since retired, but he was a pastor in the church that the Bonhoeffer family attended. Now, the, the pastor didn't know Dietrich. It was, they were separated, but his family was still there. So we had the opportunity to talk with him and engage with what um, uh, about the life of Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer, he was a, 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 he was a brilliant guy. He was a doctorate in theology by the time he was 21. And he was um, in the early part of the 1900s in Germany. And so he, he was there at the same time as Hitler, um, the, as the Third Reich. And in the, the, the 20s, um, uh, late 20s, early 30s, he was already one of the leaders opposing Hitler and opposing Nazism and, and trying to, to lead the church to oppose them. And, and things got worse and worse and harder and harder. But then, in the mid-30s, um, Union Seminary in New York called Bonhoeffer, hey, come teach here. 
You know, things are getting really scary and messy there. Why don't you come teach here in New York? It'll be safe for you. It'll be a good place. You, know, you can then pour into students. You can continue to study, continue to write, do the stuff that God's called you to do. And so he went, but he could only stay for a couple months. And he had to go back. He, he, he felt the call of God. No, we're, we're to be the church in the midst of the mess. We, we need to be the, a voice for the gospel of the good news of Jesus, of salvation in Christ above and beyond all things in the midst of the mess. And that, I believe, is one of the ways that we are heroes in the eyes of God. When you don't run from the mess and the evil and the mess around you, but you enter into it. That's not easy. I mean, just to tell you the end of the story, eventually Bonhoeffer was executed. So are some of the other heroes we're going to be looking at during our series. But the, the call is to enter into that mess, not to run from it. And we don't just enter into it by throwing, lobbing social media hand grenades at the problems or going old school and just writing letters to the editor only. We also then get in the middle of it with our own lives. Whether it's um, addressing um, issues of poverty in our midst through things like City Gospel and City Link, or whether it's uh, connecting with children in our neighborhood through tutoring and whiz kids, uh, whether it's through caring for the orphans in our midst, whether it's through IHN and, and homelessness. I mean, there's messes in our world all around, and the heroes of heaven step into them in order to be, seek to be, light in the midst of the darkness. And a friend in the time of pain. Or simply to say, all right, God, what would you have me do? Now, so Esther finds herself in this challenge and she wins. Uh, you know, or loses, depending on your perspective. She she comes in first. You know, so she's the queen. She's the head of the harem. And um, now um, a, a significant challenge comes before her. And what we'll what we'll see here is uh, similar to what we saw with Moses. Is that there are no Lone Ranger heroes biblically. Heroes need heroes. Heroes need other people who are seeking in the midst of the broken and chaotic and confusing world to obey and love God together. And, and so that's uh, what happens. Um, uh, what, uh, there's a new character introduced uh, into the um, events, and, and that's Haman. And Haman's sort of like the vice president. And he comes along, the king, and um, he, he's, he's his main aide. And, and uh, Haman does not like Mordecai, and nor does he like the Jews, because they don't appropriately bow down to the king and to him, to Haman. And so he goes to the king and says, you know, we need to destroy these Jews because they don't bow down like they're supposed to. And so he um, hatches this plot and gets the king to sign off on it. And they send the message out all around to say, this is the day when all the Jews are going to be destroyed. We'll pick it up then in Esther chapter 4. We'll uh, start with verse 4 after this plot, now to see that Mordecai has found out about this. Well, he's heard it because it's now been announced. 
But the queen, she's clueless. She doesn't know that it's going on. And so Mordecai is mortified of this, and he comes to the palace again. And um, this is where we'll, we'll pick up um, the story with some of Esther's maids met with Mordecai and now engaging with Esther. So, chapter 4, verse 4. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Ahathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, there's a, there's a couple things to see. I mean, the obvious one is how you know, Esther and Mordecai, they are, community, they are in this together, to, to, to following God um, together. And that, that Esther needed Mordecai to be that support, to, to be that wise voice that, that could tell her in the midst of her storm, in the midst of her fear of what happens if I go before the king and he does it and I don't please him in her death, to say, no, this is the right thing to do. This is what you need to do. We, we need one another to help one another, to push each other, to encourage and to support. And to, um, on this, this journey, it is not done by lone rangers. 
is done in community um, with one another. Uh, the, the other thing that um, Mordecai provides to Esther is a voice of one who is going to suffer at the king's hands. Esther, she was totally um, oblivious, didn't even know what was going on. She was separated from that evil and destruction going on around her. That, and she needed Mordecai to be telling her what was happening amidst the people. That, that's why, as the, the church, we have to be connected in Jesus across all kinds of differences. Well, we have to be across um, economics, across generational, across racial and, and ethnic. Um, you know, I mean, the, the whole issue of immigration really has no impact on me and my family directly at all. It is why I must be in communication with people, in relationship with people who are immigrants to our country so that I can know how the laws of our land engage with them because otherwise I'm totally separated from that. I'm like Esther. I need a Mordecai. It's why, as the church, we must be tearing down those barriers that the world builds up, that the devil builds up, because he builds them up to, to, to prevent us from pursuing what is good and right and just across all those barriers. We must be in relationship across those barriers so that we know, so that we can even empathize, even maybe begin to feel that pain and then act accordingly. You know, when Bonhoeffer was in the States, he actually was, in, he was at Union Seminary twice in the early 30s and late 30s, um, when, he, what, what, when he said one of the greatest influences on his life and one of the reasons that he went back to Germany was because uh, he attended Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem when he was in New York. It was uh, an African-American church um, uh, that where he learned about the, the, the struggle for freedom in this country from, from slavery and lynching and Jim Crow. He, he had a, a classmate from Birmingham, Alabama who would take him home with him and they'd go to 16th Street Baptist Church um, together. And he, and he learned uh, of what was going on in their lives and all that they faced and it didn't take long for him to click. That's exactly what's happening to my brothers and sisters who are Jews at home I've got to go back and be with them where he did and then led the, the church the confessing church in its opposition to um, Hitler and to Nazism the challenge for us is to, to see how sometimes we can be Mordecai's giving support or giving voice to the concerns. And sometimes we're Esther's. Sometimes we're in positions of influence and power. And God has placed us in those places, places in those relationships to be, be aware of what God is doing. Why, God, for such a time as this, maybe He's placed you in, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your school. Maybe to give voice to the brokenness around you, to speak truth to power, 
Or maybe to be in positions of influence and power and to hear and to act and to put yourself really on the line for what is right and just. Not, not by yourself, but with Mordecai all around you. Be, be on the lookout for how God may be calling you as a Mordecai or as an Esther. But know this. Um, know this. In the, in the midst of all of this, the real hero, and it's subtle here, It's really subtle in Esther. It's a powerful literary technique. The real hero here is God. Even though, here's you a Bible trivia um, answer. The word God is never mentioned in the book Esther. It's never, never written and never said. And you, you capture here at the end with Mordecai and Esther their interaction with each other when they're spiritually connected to each other by saying, let's fast together. Let's fast together this time to prepare for this time when I come before the king. Now, what, what you do see uh, throughout um, uh, th- this encounter um, uh, with, with Esther is you, you see circumstances happening at just the right time and in just the right way. In the beginning of the story, we didn't read it, but Mordecai, as he's sitting by the um, gates of the palace, he's hearing people around the palace, and he hears some guards who are then plotting the death, the assassination of the king. And so Mordecai hears it, and he goes and tells other guards, and says, "Listen," or he goes and tells actually Esther's maids, and the maids go and tell Esther, "Hey, this is what's going down. These people are plotting to kill the king." And the king finds out. He investigates and finds out indeed that's the case. And then it's written in the annals of the king that Mordecai had saved his life. Then fast forward a couple um, more chapters. The the queen now is. God, she, she's ready, she's fasted, she's ready to go before the king, and she's going to get the king, and she's going to get Haman, the guy who is going to plot to kill the Jews, have a nice dinner party for him. Now, the, the dinner party, given the king and given the harem and all this stuff, it probably looks a little more like Hooters than any other kind of place. But again, that's part of the mess that Esther is in. And as she has this, this big party within the first night, and then she says, all right, now everybody uh, go home. We'll have a party tomorrow night, and then I'll share my request to you, the king, and to Haman. Well, it just so happens that that night, Haman, the, or the king, can't sleep. It's a restless night, and he gets up, and he gets one of his servants, hey, bring the annals of my kingdom. Read that to me. Maybe that will put me to sleep. So the the servant comes and reads the annals of the king and it just so happens that he reads the story of Mordecai saving the king's life. And the king says, you know, what do we do for Mordecai? Do we celebrate him? Let's have a party for Mordecai um, tomorrow. So he wakes up. Decides to throw a party for Mordecai. Mordecai is esteemed. He then goes with the dinner party with Esther and Haman. And Esther lays it out. Listen, this is what Haman's trying to do. He's trying to kill Mordecai and me and all of my people. And the king is outraged. And then as he's celebrating Mordecai, he executes Haman. The circumstances that occurred 
occurred in God's hand and sovereignty in order to bring salvation, in order to bring justice and righteousness. He is the hero. And the Esthers and Mordecai's, the Moseses, are simply trusting in him to be the hero, growing in love and faith and obedience to him. One of the other opportunities we had when we were in in Germany is we got to go visit Lisa and Jörg Schmidt. Now, Lisa and Jörg are missionaries that we've supported as a church for 20, 25 years. And and they have felt God's call uh, to be involved, particularly in the Muslim world, um, in in, uh, evangelism and discipleship and, and building churches in those worlds. Not an easy call. Very messy. Sort of like being the queen in the harem of the king. It's a dangerous place. And they were a number of years in Tunisia, and then they got discovered and they were kicked out. Then they spent some time in Jordan and and, and just fits and starts and started to have significant health issues that that would take them off the field and bring them home. Uh, And and so they never really got settled in Jordan and eventually feeling like, well, we gave it a try and it's not going to work, ended up heading back to Germany for their health concerns to to get those taken care of. And we had the opportunity to to visit them in, in Heilbronn which is a um, major town manufacturing center um, in Germany. A couple years ago, you may have heard of a group called ISIS and the upheaval they caused in the Middle East that sent millions of people as refugees all over the world. Well, you know, Germany is probably the largest recipients of refugees. Um, Close, almost a million Refugees have come into Germany. And Heilbronn is one of their largest refugee centers. 100,000 refugees from Syria, from Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan. Places, some places, where Arabic is the, the main language. And they all come to Heilbronn where Jorg and Lisa, who spent 20 years working in Arabic lands, learning the language, learning and growing in love with the people, now sit. And they lead Arabic churches, Arabic support groups, helping uh, Arabs to learn German, helping Arabs to to maneuver through the the German bureaucracy in order to get the, the help that they need. Literally, this is not an exaggeration. They will have people come to the church during the prelude, before the prelude, just in the coffee and donuts before they come in and say, we want to know Jesus. How do we become Christians? Now, in the midst of their journey, getting kicked out of Tunisia, not being able to find uh, their, their roots in Jordan and all the health concerns. Who knew that God was leading them back home where the world they were going to enter into was going to come to them? 
And we had the privilege of just walking with Jorg and Lisa through the, the um, town squares and centers in Hellebron. And as we were walking, we got stopped two, three, four times um, by different people just wanting to engage with them. And even had a couple folks from uh, Basra, um, Iraq, sit down with us and have some uh, coffee and cake in the... Uh, Um, bakery there because they are now pastoring the folks from Iraq and Syria who are coming to Germany. God knew what was going on. God orchestrated the circumstances. God is the hero. Jorg and Lisa, in the midst of this battle, were faithful, were seeking to follow after God, and they still entered into the, the mess of, entering, of, of, of engaging with those, you know, those scary Muslim refugees that had come in, into Germany and engaging them in the love of Jesus. They got to be the heroes, too. And we get to be, as we support them, as we pray for them, as we participate with them. Let us enter into this messy world in relationships with those in our, our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplace um, that, that bridge the gaps, that, that help us be in touch with what's going on in the world around us that we might be totally clueless to. And let's trust that God is the hero and he will orchestrate the circumstances for truth, righteousness, and salvation. Amen.